The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building Resilience. Talking Trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. Difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Good evening, America, and good morning, Australia. We're back on Radio Tony, broadcasting live from the beautiful Talabudra Valley in the Gold Coast hinterland. We've been enjoying some beautiful autumn weather here in Australia. Unfortunately, today it's a bit overcast and rainy, which is okay. And I don't really like the heat and humidity, so the cool, cold nights and warm days is perfect for me. Hello to the wonderful Rebel helping us in the background and welcome back to Radio Tony. If you'd like to drop me a note in the chat platform on w4wn.com, I'd love to hear from you. You can check me out further on my website, tonylontis.com, or follow me and message me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram. Today we're doing a little bit of a different program. I have two wonderful guests joining us later today to talk about work and business relationships. Firstly, I'll be talking to Vanessa North from Connect and Grow and then Dr. Tracy Stanley, a social scientist and author. Both women are passionate about our workplaces and I look forward to introducing them to you later in the show. But firstly, just a quick world news. So this week in um, Alabama, the US has passed an abortion law. I'm really sad for Alabama's, Alabama's women, those who have become pregnant due to rape, incest or in assault. This is a really sad uh, law for them. The politicians decided that your body no longer is belongs to you and we've returned you to the dark ages. And on Tuesday night, Alabama voted to outlaw abortion entirely. Doctors who performed the procedure could go to prison for 99 years simply for providing health care for the one in four American women who obtains an abortion at some point in her life. The law offers no exemption for rape or incest because, as Clyde Chambliss said, when God creates the miracle of life inside a woman's womb, it is not our place as human beings to extinguish that life. Alabama isn't the only state where the same misogynist politicians who defend their right to own deadly weapons have set their crosshairs on women's bodies. 
And when the same people who claim to value life have systemically cut services for poor children, medical care for pregnant women, and affordable contraception for women who are trying to plan their pregnancies, it's interesting to point out that life is only precious in some circumstances. Alabama still has the death penalty as well. Um, after years of any abortion effects to chip away at women's right to choose, the American pro-life movement has finally decided to go the whole hog. They are introducing and sex successfully passing legislation across the country that outlaws abortion. I'm not here to debate abortion, but just to say that America and Alabama in particular, has succeeded in taking women's rights and the right to make choices over their bodies and their lives back to the dark ages. It's your body and your choice and no one else should come between you and that choice. However, given the, illegal, the amount of legal challenges this bill is likely to face, along with past rulings on other anti-abortion legislation, the law is probably be tied up in court for years, delaying the enforcement. The Supreme Court has discretion over what cases it hears, and there is no guarantee that justices would be able to take up the Alabama ban if it's stuck down in the lower houses. Um, the Civil American the American Civil Liberties Union and Planned Parenthood have already announced plans to file lawsuits against the Alabama bill, and that's good to hear. Um, we watch with bated breath to see what unfolds in America around these laws and hope that they don't actually make it into legislative effect. So now I'm going to hand over to our Rebel for a brief break and once we come back from that break today i'll firstly be talking to vanessa so over to you rebel radio tony bringing social consciousness this time every thursday evening live from the gold coast australia on w4wn Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty is the new book from Australian author Tony Lontis. Available in paper, ebook, and audiobook formats, Resilience is the true life story of Tony experiencing and surviving trauma, abuse, mental health issues and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with. Exposing moral issues you may have dealt with too. Read how hope and happiness triumph in her life. Available at Amazon.com and all good online retailers. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Hello and welcome back. So whilst I'm waiting for our first guest, Vanessa, to join us, just a little bit about Vanessa North. Vanessa runs a business that helps managers and leaders to develop better business relationships. With 25 years as a manager and leader, a master's degree in management and a lifetime of working with managers and organisations to improve leadership and communication, Vanessa has learned what works and what doesn't. Uh, she has a keen interest in assisting others in achieving their goals, um, to learn new things that transform their work and life and to have fun while doing it. 
Vanessa speaks at many conferences and events and works as a trainer and management consultant. She's worked in executive leadership consultancy and training roles for over 25 years in the public and private sectors in health, universities, TAFE in Australia, New Zealand and Singapore. As well as all as well as all this, Vanessa has her own consultancy and training company. She also works as a senior university lecturer in communication and serves on the board of a not-for-profit community legal centre. Vanessa believes that collaboration and generosity build better lives, careers and organisations. When we build better business relationships, lead from a position of generosity and take a collaborative approach to work with others, our business and our people flourish. Managing the business side of things can be easy, but managing the people side of things often stumps us and it shouldn't. If we work on ourselves to improve the way we interact with everyone, everyone benefits, even our partners and children. Uh, Peter Drunker, a business guru, has said, what much of, much of what we call management consists of making it difficult for people to work. Vanessa is all about making it easier, more enjoyable and successful. A former nurse, Facebook page, Connect and Grow, and I'll put the website um, into the chat box when we're finished. So I'm just wondering if I've got Vanessa online yet, Rebel. No, not yet. No, not yet. Not yet? Okay. So this morning with Vanessa, when she joins us... We are going to talk about what makes a good manager and a leader. And there's a difference between good management and good leadership. And they're not always intertwined. Um, and further to our talk with manager, we'd like to cover off some points about working with toxic managers or those managers that are particularly difficult and make our lives particularly difficult. Um, Vanessa has had lots of experience in managing and leading people um, and when she joins us soon um, I'm sure you'll have lots of questions for her. Now before we went to the break um, one of our listeners wanted to know about abortion laws um, across the rest of the world so whilst we're waiting for Vanessa I can tell you that in Australia in most states you can legally have an abortion However, in New South Wales, it's still technically illegal to have an abortion. However, and no one has been prosecuted for undergoing that procedure. Um, and I know that uh, abortion clinics um, and support for women is generally readily available across Australia. Um, and there are counselling services for women who find themselves in that situation where they need to make that terrible decision about whether to proceed or not. 
So whilst we're waiting for Vanessa to join us, I just wonder if our listeners have any questions in particular to begin the show about management and leadership. Um, I know that most of us at some stage in our lives will be either a manager or will be working under a manager. And I'm interested to know what uh, sort of questions you might have to ask Vanessa about the things you do and don't like about your manager. So I've actually been lucky enough to have many good, mostly female managers in my life. And for me, a good manager is someone who recognises not just their own strengths and capacity, but also recognises that their staff have individual strengths to bring to the organisation. So for me, a good manager is someone who recognises what I'm good at and assists me to develop those areas in my working life that I may not be so good at. So some of the most wonderful female managers I've had were during my nursing years when those uh, managers encouraged me to learn more about what I wanted to do in life and also what I wanted to achieve in my working life. So I believe that we have Vanessa online now. So good morning, Vanessa. No, I don't think she's with us. I think we have. She's not yet. No, it's saying not available. We're trying to get her on. Okie dokie. Okay. No problem. Um, so whilst we're waiting to connect with um, Vanessa, I know that Vanessa's actually had a really stressful week. She's been ill and her family has been ill and she spent yesterday uh, all morning in a leadership conference. Um, so this morning, uh, when I spoke to her last night, she was looking forward to our chat this morning. So again, most of my leaders and managers were from my health and nursing world, and they uh, encouraged me um, to pursue um, greater things in my uh, nursing life. So one of my best managers encouraged me to go from a clinical practice where I was a clinician and working on the floor of operating theatres. She encouraged me to uh, pursue a job in corporate health, which was a huge thing for me to do at the time. What come from that was the opportunity to coordinate maternity and neonatal services across Queensland. And in that role, I was able to help uh, midwives to uh, bring in midwifery-led care. So that's the type of maternity care where you work with a midwife versus working with a doctor. So it's the midwife who 
does all your checks, um, does all your education. And in group practice midwifery, it's that midwife that goes on to deliver your baby. So the midwife that you meet at the beginning of your pregnancy uh, continues to um, be with you the whole way through the pregnancy. The advantage of this is that for a woman going into labour, they have someone that they know and trust and are comfortable with at the most vulnerable time in their life. Um, and leading that network across the state was invaluable in teaching me how to be a good manager. And it started the beginning of my good leadership practice. So just check in and see if Vanessa's with us yet. Not yet. Okay. We seem to be having a few technical problems this morning and that's okay. We'll just keep going. So I know too that Vanessa has had um, lots of experience in the nursing world and she too started out her working life as a nurse and proceeded to go into the corporate world and learn about management and leadership. She also has a similar um, background history in quality and safety, the same as I have. Um, and I know that she's passionate about uh, management and leaderships and having to learn those skills rather than being born with them. Um, and I know that she works with people and yes, we're having some technical issues. So we're going to throw to a break right now. Okay, back to you, Rebel. Keeping the conversation going on the suppressed social and moral issues. This is Radio Tony on W4WN. Join Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with your secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Keep the conversation going. Direct assistance. Call Radio Tony. Hello. 561-623-9421 on W4WN Radio Guest Skype. Radio Tony on W4WN, your safe space for tough conversations. Radio Tony on W4WN, a platform for the unheard. Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty is the new book 
from Australian author Tony Lontis. Available in paper, ebook, and audiobook formats, Resilience is the true life story of Tony, experiencing and surviving trauma, abuse, mental health issues, and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with. Exposing moral issues you may have dealt with too. Read how hope and happiness triumph in her life. Available at Amazon.com and all good online retailers. Radio Tony on W4WN. Your safe space for tough conversations. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Keep the conversation going. Director assistant. Call Radio Tony. Hello. 561-623-9421 on W4WN Radio Guest Skype. Hello, Vanessa. So we've <laughs> managed to um, get you on. Um, we have these technical problems from time to time. I'm so glad to talk to you. So yes, I'm sorry for being a little late. Sorry, darling. Just said I'm, I'm sorry for being a little late. It's not for uh, want of trying. <laughs> That's perfectly okay. We will um, quickly run through what we need to run through and get you off again. <laughs> um, so before we get on to our topic today, um, we both are nurses. So tell, let's tell our listeners firstly how you went from nursing to management. Yes, I, I think a lot of nurses uh, end up doing all sorts of different things because uh, it's a little bit like a baptism of fire. You can su- yeah. survive in that role. <laughs> you can yeah. survive anywhere because the pressure's pretty high and the stakes are pretty high. Um, but I, I, I started out at, at university uh, doing an arts degree because I didn't yeah. really know what else I wanted to do. And uh, uh, I had a great time at university and met some wonderful yeah. friends, but felt a little bit like a directionist. And so at the time uh, here in Australia, they were, they were actually still uh, running a, a, a registered nursing program in hospitals and you trained in the hospital and they paid you. And I thought, well, maybe I should do that for a while. So that's what I did. Um, But I ended up getting quite involved in in the hospital sort of management and things. Uh, I I was the student nurse council president and so that enabled me to... uh, do some fabulous things like join the rostering committee and the uh, quality improvement committee and it was all very exciting and so I actually sort of decided to follow that direction and ended up doing a little bit of study and quality management which was relatively new at the time and uh, then ended up teaching it in one of our uh, vocational colleges here and uh, while I was there they were offering a a study option for some of the staff which was doing a, a graduate certificate in management. Management. I thought, right, I'll do that. Um, and some of the staff were doing it over two years. I thought, that's a, a little bit long. I think I'll do it in one <laughs> while working yeah. full time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I finished that and just as well, at the end of that year, uh, my husband got a job in New Zealand at one of the universities there. And so I had that qualification and ended up uh, working in uh, leadership and management development at the same university. 
And uh, while I was there as well, they had a staff study program, so I did a master's degree in management. (laughs) Um, Came back to Australia with my uh, young son and husband and uh, took a job actually as a director of learning and development uh, in a large uh, public sector organisation. And uh, now I'm uh, doing consultancy and uh, some freelance uh, training and working with a number of other training organisations. So kind of like a spaghetti career you know there's lots of stuff going on there's lots of directions um but I I think the, the the common theme for me has always been that sort of you know working with people and, and looking for ways that I could help to improve the the kind of the working lives of, yeah, of other yeah. of other folks and always do something when you're when you're working it doesn't matter what it is study join a group join that rostering committee <laughs> yeah yeah because rostering is a huge thing in health those of us that have been nurses it's it's incredibly can be an incredibly volatile space to work in because you're rostering around uh, the needs of the healthcare facility and people need and desire to have a work-life balance so yeah Yeah. or or just just to have a life (laughs) that's correct just to have a life so Vanessa how do managers learn to be good managers and can staff help managers to be better managers yeah, and look, that's a great question that there's so many leadership and management uh, books and models and courses yeah. and all of those sorts of things out there. And uh, one, one of the things that I've found is that, you know, leaders and good managers are not born. Uh, they do yeah. have to be made. You do have to learn. Even if you have some natural kind of talent or affinity with people, you still have to learn how to do that well. And yeah. I, I found, I think, you know, with all my kind of book study, if you like, as well as my experience in actually being a ma- being a manager yeah. and being a yeah. leader and director, that there are some fundamental kind of skills that you really yeah. need to learn, yeah. and some of those are really around how to communicate better with people, yeah. and. I think if if your manager's not communicating well with you, then you can kind of help them by asking the right questions yourself. So if you're not getting feedback, ask for it. Um, If you're not getting a clear direction, and that's another common problem, then ask Mm -hmm. for that clarity. Uh, Ask if you can, you know, talk about the direction of your business unit or your organisation or or whatever. And have a discussion because yeah. sometimes I think managers are falling to some bad habits. <laughs> yeah. And one of them is assuming that everybody knows uh, the same things that they do about the organisation right. or difficulties or whatever. So one of the great tools for both managers and, and, and staff yeah. is to ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it should be obvious, but, but oh, it isn't. True. And, and sometimes uh, those that are under... Uh, a manager that's that's not forthcoming with information. Sometimes they're a little uh, scared of asking questions, aren't they? Yeah, and look, I think that um, if we take it, it's kind of one of my my hot sayings for for yeah. two thousand and nineteen. Yeah. If we take everybody as being an adult and being yeah. a responsible adult, people yeah. who have lives outside of work and so on, uh, I, I think sometimes. 
particularly managers who are, who yeah. are maybe new or maybe they've been there a long time but they've just really yeah. never learned can fall into that kind of parent-child relationship at work yes. And, yes. It, and it's not healthy you know, yeah. where managers feel they have to tell staff what to do, they have to correct them, they have to yeah. point out their weaknesses, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. It's not an adult-to-adult conversation. Uh, so you can change that dynamic and by yeah. using sort of respectful questions where you are genuinely seeking, you know, clarification and common meaning and understanding, Ask those open-ended questions, not not yeah. sort of those closed questions, which sometimes people fall into. And uh, yeah. I was working with a group in the defence industry yesterday. I can't say who it is for security yeah. reasons. <laughs> but uh, one of the uh, fellows there who was, a, you know, been a manager for quite some time, seems like a lovely uh, person, and he, we had a bit of a practice about, you know, having conversations in that kind of adult-to-adult way. And he had a little bit of an epiphany where he said, you know what, when we were doing that practice, I kept asking closed questions. Yes. And I didn't realise I was doing it. Yes. yes. So So for our listeners, closed questions are those questions that you'll get a one-worded answer to aren't they? Yeah, yeah, or a, or a yes-no answer. Yeah, so yeah. if I said to you, Tony, if we were having a discussion and, and I was your manager and said, so you're going okay, aren't you? Generally the answer word. is? Yes. Yes, so the, yes. So the better question <laughs> is? So tell me about um, how you're going with your work. So and that's, that's an, an open and inviting answer. question. And it invites you to engage with the person that you're talking to. So that's the difference between open-ended and closed questions. Yeah, um, and it's it's one of those fundamental skills that I think we intrinsically know, but we yeah. don't do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a question from one of our listeners who wants to know, um, what if you're dealing with someone who micromanages? look that's a yeah and a universal problem so it's it's kind of that same thing sometimes people micromanage because they fear that they're not in control and that they don't know if people are going to do the right thing so they have to kind of overcompensate if you like so one of the ways I, I would suggest that might be helpful is to use that kind of question approach but ask to have a discussion uh, and ask your manager look you know when I'm doing x y and z uh, mm-hmm. you know this is what I, what I'm doing and uh, why I'm doing it so you know have you would you be able to talk to me give me a bit of feedback on you know how I'm going with that or can I talk through it with you so it's actually inviting the manager then to have a conversation and step yeah. out of that kind of parent-child relationship. Yeah. And I've got to say, don't expect change overnight. <laughs> These yeah. things take yeah. time. But yeah. persist with that and see yeah. the manager as a person, as a fellow human being and an adult who yeah. maybe is behaving in a way that's not helpful at the moment mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, approach it with that invitation to have a conversation and then you've got a chance to check with clarity uh, around that, uh, you know, that that activity that you're doing and you're building trust, which is one of the key things as well. 
Yeah. So I've got another question. Um, what if you have asked for meetings and the micromanager won't include all parties involved? Another great question. Ooh. So would that be uh, uh, around a conflict? So I'm, I'm not sure there. So I'm guessing that the listener um, is trying to meet with their manager um, to discuss the ways they're being micromanaged. <laughs> that would be my assumption of the question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah. And, you know, sometimes managers may find that threatening because they're not yes. sure what you're going to say. Yes. They may feel that you're going to attack them. Yeah. And, you know, that's uh, that's a difficult situation uh, for your listener there. Yeah, but it is. Uh, I think, you know, you could try um, asking for the meeting because you'd like to get a bit of feedback. Ah. What you're actually doing there is sort of diffusing the situation where the manager may feel that you're going to, yeah. you know, have a go at them yeah. and approach that conversation with that manager as another human being. Yeah, yeah. If you're kind of in your interactions with that manager, you're yeah. a little bit prickly, perhaps mm -hmm. you're, you know, the manager may feel that, you know, you're you're going to be upset and um, angry, yeah. then that, that may be why they're avoiding it, <laughs> which yeah, is a kind definitely. of normal yeah. human response. If you feel attacked, you defend yourself. Mike, again, the reason why... A uh, manager might be micromanaging staff is more about their management and their fear and uh, insecurity around how they manage it. Would you say that, Vanessa? Absolutely. <laughs> because micromanaging uh, your staff is not a good way to manage, let's face it. No, and and none of us wants to feel like we're not trusted and That's that right. we're not doing a good job. And unfortunately, the micromanaging response is often to uh, the manager's own kind of view of how in control of the situation and the workplace and the outcomes yeah. that they are. Yeah. So in order to deal with that, you yeah. need to change your approach. Don't expect yeah. the manager to suddenly, you know, yeah. have a spontaneous epiphany. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I suppose you have to decide how much effort you want to put into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's also giving you back a little bit of control. You know, yeah. often you, you can feel like you are out of control because you have no um, say over what you do and how you do it and when you do it. Yeah. And that's a fundamental human need as well yeah. to feel yeah. that we do have some, you know, valuable contributions to make and we want to make them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've just seen a little question pop up here, yeah. uh, Tony, about what to do if your manager's a narcissist. Narcissist. <laughs> that, was my next, that was my last question for you this morning. I thought, oh, that's a good one to end on. <laughs> Um, you know, some uh, studies have shown that, uh, you know, around about 1% to 2% of the population do have some, uh, you know, very difficult psychological uh, uh, conditions and narcissism yeah. is one of those. But what you will find that is in the upper echelons of management, they're often overrepresented. So that, it, 
that is a difficult situation. Um, but once again, I would I would take that same approach, that kind of human seeking to understand, seeking to clarify approach, um, and ask them. Okay, yeah. so well, what would you like me to do? Or look, I'm yeah. proposing I do it in this way. Is that going to work for you? And then you're actually putting the responsibility back on to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you feel like you're continually put down or ignored, and look, I've been there too, yeah. <laughs> not, not being the narcissist <laughs> on the receiving end, and yeah. it is very difficult. Um, but uh, sometimes it can unnerve them a little bit if you don't yeah. take that bait. Um, but act respectfully, act kindly, kindly yeah. to the person as another human being. If nothing else, yeah. they may be doing something not very nice, but um, kind of don't let the other person's behaviour change yours, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, it's difficult, oh, though. Vanessa, <laughs> thank you so much for your insight this morning. I'm really sorry that we have to go to a break now, but I've got another <laughs> guest waiting to come on. <laughs> And um, listeners, I will get back to your questions later in the program. Thank you so much, Vanessa, um, for coming on my program. And um, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Um, thanks, listeners. Over to Rebel. Thanks, Vanessa. Keeping the conversation going on the suppressed social and moral issues, this is Radio Tony on W4WN. Join Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with your secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Keep the conversation going. Direct assistance. Call Radio Tony. Hello. 561-623-9421. On W4WN Radio Guest Skype. Radio Tony on W4WN. Your safe space for tough conversations. Welcome back, everyone. Now we're ready to talk to our next guest, Dr. Tracy Stanley. So a little bit about Dr. Tracy. She's a social scientist with expertise across employee engagement, entrepreneurship and organisational change. She's lived and worked in Asia and Europe in addition to her native Australia, undertaking a range of senior human resource management and consulting roles. While in France, she co-founded the Nice Côte d'Azur Professional Women's Network. Since completing her PhD, which investigated the characteristics in the work environment which most contributed to employee engagement and creative behaviours, uh, she has also written two books. Her first book, The Engagement Whisperer, a quieter and more collaborative approach to inspiring your team, which outlines a softly, softly approach to lifting employee engagement, and her most recent book, Creativity Cycling. Help your team solve complex problems with creative tools was co-written um, with expert creativity expert Barbara Wilson. It's for leaders who want tools they can use to lead their team through creative problem-solving processes. 
Tracy's on a mission to help organisation build great places to work. And at the end of the show, I'll pop in the details of where you can find Tracy on the net. Now, good morning, Tracy. Good morning, Tony. What a privilege to have you on this morning. We've had a few issues with Skype today, so I'm really grateful that you're here and can hear me and I can hear you. That's wonderful. So I thought before we get started on our talk, if we could tell our listeners what a social scientist is and what they do. Okay. Uh, So if you Google social scientist, you'll get um, a definition something like uh, it's someone who's interested in social relationships in society. That would be the broad yes. definition, and the person yeah. generally has some sort of background in so sociology, psychology, or anthropology. Yes. Yes. For me, yes. I'll claim that I'm very interested in social relationships in the workplace. Yes. I, have, I have a mantra around helping organisations create great places where people work, where they're engaged yes. and where they, they feel free to um, to bring all the best of themselves and to be creative. So um, yeah. so that's my interest. My interest is really on focus of, of organisations and often organisations that are large and complex with multiple cultures and uh, you know, ways of working. Yeah. So we've been talking to um, Vanessa earlier this morning. Yes, I've been listening. Wonderful questions about working with a narcissistic boss. Um, And then further from that, we've had some more questions about um, should employees join together to make sure everyone is on the same uh, same page rather and how far is too far to be pushed. So that's that's all about that um, employee-manager workplace engagement, isn't it? Absolutely. And certainly... If you, there's different there's different things that affect your engagement and certainly yes. the relationship you have with your, your boss. You and Vanessa were talking about trust. I mean, that's really yes. keen. You also yes. talked about micromanagement and, and when I did my PhD research, yeah. having the freedom and the autonomy to decide how you achieve your goals was just so important to all the people I spoke to. So it doesn't it is, surprise me that your listeners are saying, oh, how do I stop someone who's micromanaging me? And I was actually yeah. just thinking, how would I respond to that? You know, um, yeah. Because it's a really yeah. difficult conversation to have with someone and you're, you were right uh, in saying your manager would probably be quite threatened by that. So, yes. uh, yeah, I'm sure that was... if a, they've got any of those narcissistic characteristics, yeah. they're yeah. going to be threatened. So you have to, as an employee, yeah. bring that up in a way that's non-threatening, which can be quite challenging for people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I would um, encourage, if you're in that situation, keep a journal and write down what's happening in the workplace and how you're feeling and write it down in as much detail as possible so you understand it yourself. And then I'd suggest to the readers that they write a letter as though they've just come out of the meeting and it's been brilliantly successful. And so you're writing back to your manager saying, thanks for meeting with me. I really appreciated your great insights. As I mentioned, I was concerned. And write down all the things you'd like to say if you had a really, really successful conversation. So you can imagine that scenario. And that then actually, you can take that with you to the meeting. And when you're having the conversation, you can refer back to it. It would remind you of some of the positive messages you wanted to communicate and some of your concerns expressed in a sort of a, a factual and not a sort of defensive way. Yeah. And and that is actually um, taking employee engagement where the employee is the one working to uh, make things better in the workplace, isn't it? Sure. Well, I um, 
I mean, I think everyone has a role um, yeah. in employee engagement in an organisation. And I think Absolutely. that we as employees, we need to take, we need to know ourselves and what engages us and take responsibility for our career yeah. because no one is more interested in our career and our development than, than we are. are. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, that, that would be my first message. But certainly if you're a manager, your behaviour and the, the culture you create in your team environment um, has a direct impact upon every peop- everyone else's behaviour as well. It does, because if you have happy employees, you're going to have a happy workplace. And if you're, you know, in customer service, you're going to have happy customers. So it's a it's really win-win for everyone, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It certainly has a knock-on impact without doubt. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Tracy, when did you first become interested in the idea of employee engagement? Yeah, so I've probably, I think about, I mean, it's been around for a while, the term, um, and I think about yes, 15 yes. years ago, a whole lot of yeah, consultants yeah. and researchers were talking about it, and some fairly impressive claims were made about the relationship between the engagement of people and business yeah. outcomes. So I was interested in it. And I had an opportunity to lead a, um, a regional wide. So at that time, I was living in Thailand, um, responsible oh, for our wow. Asia Pacific countries. And um, yeah. I created a process, you know, so let's survey employee engagement. Yeah. And then we had to decide yeah. what, what is it? And it's, it's really important to understand and to think about what it is because quite a bit of discussion over is it the same as other concepts? And you mentioned happiness. Now, employee engagement yeah. isn't necessarily happiness and it's not necessarily job satisfaction or organisational yeah. commitment. Yeah, For me, yeah. I mean, I define it as if you're in a job and you're really engaged, you know, you're you're you love it because it's stimulating your brain yes, and you really put yeah. your heart into it. And as a result, you put into discretionary efforts such that at the end of the day, the day's gone because you're so enjoying what you're doing. Yes. Um, yes. So it's, it's got those sort of three elements. That's what engagement is. Um, yeah. So you know, I and on myself and probably like many listeners, I've had fantastic jobs where I would have done them for free. I so enjoyed the work I was doing and those people I was working with. And then, of course, I've had the opposite experiences where I walk to work and I'm feeling low because I've got to face the job. And then when I leave at the end of the day, I'm still feeling low because I need to rock up the next day. So I'd experience the polar polar, um, positions and I wanted to understand more about it. And I know that um, we, in one of the companies I worked for, we then had another process later on and um, the process only looked at engagement through improving how the way a team works yeah. and while that was useful for me that wasn't what was driving my engagement and I so yeah. it forced me to think about it so I went off and did a PhD looking at what were yeah. the things in the work environment that most contributed to employee engagement and then I did a PhD which I thought no one would read so then I wrote a practical book for managers based on what I'd learned from my research project which I think have relevance to people in well, a whole lot of I'm, other different organizations. Yeah I'm actually interested so what did you find out about what engages people in the workplace? <laughs> okay well I found lots of things and yeah, I guess yeah. the first point is it's complex but I like to say it's not rocket science. There yeah, are things yeah. to do with engagement that are related to the job and the work that you do Mm-hmm. There are things related to your team and your team environment and how, how open they are and, you know, yeah. getting back to trust, which is one of the points you came up in your conversation yeah. with Vanessa. Yeah. There's things related to managers and from my research project, I was able to identify what were the things that the best managers do to encourage yeah. engagement. Um, there was a bit to do with the organisation and the organisational culture and how attached you feel to the organisation, but that wasn't as strong as the other three elements. And then yeah. on top of that, you've got the complexity and that was that... At different times in our life, different characteristics are more important than others. So, I mean, I can tell you that 
the things that impact upon jobs are things related to autonomy that we've been discussing today, yeah. to challenge, yeah. to learning, to getting a sense of achievement. Even if it's only like a tick in a, in a Excel spreadsheet, you know, you get a bit of a yeah. yay, yay moment, I've done that. And then, of yeah. course, recognition yeah. is important as well. So those things are related to the job. And yeah. the people, I, most people who I spoke to really valued that. But there were some howevers. For example, yeah. I spoke to some women who just returned from maternity leave and they were working part-time and they said, hey, I'm really happy to come back to a job where I know how to do it. It doesn't have challenge. It doesn't have variety. Yeah. I work with a great team and for me that's the more important thing at this time in my life. And yeah. so that was kind of a bit of a trade-off. And then I spoke to some people in some other teams who were building this huge construction plant in the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a difficult job. It was a high-profile job. They they love the nature of the work. There was quite a bit of conflict in the team. And oh, most of the oh. team people who I spoke to said, well, you know, these guys aren't my best friends. I, I wouldn't go to lunch. You know, well, I wouldn't see yeah. them on the weekend. But I like the nature of the work. It's stimulating and I'm learning. And for me, this is what engages me. So it's a bit about you and your life circumstances and your values. And what engages you may vary over time, but there were some very important things that came out to do with the job, the nature of uh -huh. the um, team environment, and very importantly, the behaviour of your manager. Yeah, yeah. So I've got a couple of questions from our listeners. And the first one is, um, what do you mean by PhD? And oh, is that sorry. State <laughs> University? <laughs> yeah, so we've got, oh, we're worldwide and our listeners are from a variety of, um, so may not necessarily understand. So I'll let you explain, Tracy. Thank you. Thank you for asking. It stands for um, Doctor of Philosophy. Yes. Um, which kind of sounds a bit highfalutin. Um, it's, it's. I mean, I did a really big research project. It equates um, to a lot of work, really. <laughs> it's, it's a load of work. It's a load of yeah. So I'm a yeah. So yeah. So I'm a I'm a doctor of philosophy and having studied a management subject, and um, that took me four years. Four years. I did a research project and reported yeah. on it, and um, they decided to give me um say I could call myself Doctor Stanley. Yes. So anything that you study that involves research or presentation of a thesis will usually result in a doctorate and the ability to call yourself doctor because you've done loads of um, work in a particular uh, research subject. Sure, um, and that's exactly that's basically the basis of it. And you have to be seen yeah. to be um, contributing something new to the body of knowledge in that area, even if it's yes. only tiny. It's about yeah, yeah. looking about what other people have done and, yeah. and, and doing some unique research and saying, well, how, how has what I've done extended what we know already? Yeah, yeah. Um, another listener question, um, do you find things work differently in different countries in terms of workplace engagement? That's a pretty yeah. good question too. That's a really good question. It's a really good question. Um so my, my research was done. It was a global company, uh, first, yeah. but it was um, done here in Australia. Um, yeah. So it was mainly an Australian context. So, and there was, yeah, so I need to sort of say that. From my own experience, yeah. I know that you need to understand the socialisation of whoever you're working with in the country context. Yeah. Um, so so I'm kind essentially of, for, for our listeners, Australians behave differently in the workplace than, say, people in China, people in America, people in Thailand. It is different, yes. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. So I guess oh. I'd use no, no, no. I'd say, 
I'd say you, so for example, I did interview people. There were some people in China who I interviewed and the things they told me about what they like in a job and the behaviours of the manager, they were the same. But there's some references made just to just understanding social context and the way people behave. Um, For example, challenge, challenge, so challenge. And often people talked about having rich conversations. (laughs) I'm I'm Uh sort of using polite language here, you know, when they disagreed. So one of the teams where they loved the job, perhaps didn't like the people. But that Uh was really, really important to them. In other cultures, so I know that many of my colleagues in Asia, they're very sensitive to hierarchy. There'd not be be disagreement. Um, and it would send a different message if there was disagreement. They would sort of perhaps be quite horrified by that. I mean, it's kind of just a small yeah. example. So I think there's some things we can learn, but I think you need to take into account um, a little bit of cultural context. Yes, yes. So actually one of our listeners has just asked, did you find cultural differences in workplaces? So you did. Well, even between the teams, I mean, you can have, you know, we use the word culture as a sort of a broad sweep, but I guess I talk about time clean, team climate, what it felt yes. like to be in the different teams. So it's interesting. So one of the teams I interviewed, it was a team mm-hmm. of women, actually, and yeah. they, weren't in, they weren't only friends, they were Facebook friends. I mean, these guys uh-huh. saw each other outside of work and on the weekend, yeah. and they were really tight-knit. Mm-hmm. And um, there was another team the, at the other polar end where they weren't friends at all. Uh-huh. Um, so, sorry. So, whoops! I never got the through that question. <laughs> the the questions <laughs> about cultural different differences. So you could say the place. team climate was so. I'll talk about the cultural difference of the team. They were very very different team climates and cultures, though yeah. they shared a lot of the characteristics that they said engaged them. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Um, the next question is: uh, Could it be differences of the governing laws of the country? Oh. That's a good one too. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't exam. I didn't examine that as a part of my research. I think it's a bit far removed. When I when you think about, yes. you know, so when I was talking to people, I said, "Tell me about a day when you were really engaged at work. You know, when you're yeah. really into what you were doing, and time flew." And yeah. no one said yeah. to me, "Oh, I was concerned about what was happening on the political front." Uh-huh. Um, so that's how yeah. I defined it. I mean, I defined it yeah. as this really personal thing. Um, yeah. around what engaged you at work. Maybe if I'd asked a different question, but external to the organisation, generally didn't come up except for the fact that I did my research in an organisation that had recently had um, layoffs. And it was an organisation that had been around for ages and people had a strong sense of connection to the organisation. And some of them had lost friends who'd been laid off and it made them a bit unsettled. It didn't change what they said were the things that got them engaged at work. But right. it was there in the background. And when I talked about, can you tell me about a time when you weren't engaged at work, often yeah. the worry about the economic circumstances came to the fore. And I guess for some people, if they're in a country with political instability, that might come up as well if I talk about a day when you're, you're distracted and you're not engaged. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, what did you learn about jobs um, and the different sorts of jobs and how they influence engagement. So I'm, I'm guessing um, what did you learn about employee engagement between construction workers oh. and, say, the health environment? 
Okay, well, uh, I can't talk to the health environment because my yeah. I, I worked in an engineering procurement construction organisation. Yes. However, there were very different sets of profiles. So there were some people yes. who were in construction. They were mechanical engineers. Um, yes. They were electrical. They were stress piping. I also yes. dealt with um, a team in finance operations, a marketing uh-huh. and communication team, a team. So different sorts of jobs. There were teams who were analysts yeah. uh, and yes. specialists. And I found that generally the things that they valued were pretty consistent. You know, like I said earlier, having a challenging job, which really gets their brain sparking, where there's opportunity to learn, where they're given freedom to determine how they do their work, uh, achievement and recognition, those things related to the job itself. And then there was the things related to the team environment, which varied a little sometimes between team. I mean, the team where they're all good friends, they really valued that and would choose to stay because they were such good friends. There was trust. They could mm-hmm. fail and not be, be judged harshly. Um, yeah. Things like that were really important. Yeah, yeah. So some of the employees could be good friends at work and also have friendships outside of work. Well, that's, that's what the characteristics of one of the team. One of the teams yeah. is particularly tight um, and yeah. and. Yeah, and others weren't necessarily in that spectrum. <laughs> and um, do you think that those were, that were particularly tight that made for a more engaged workspace? Absolutely, I sense that that team were um, yeah. they were highly engaged and highly connected to the team. And I think yeah. because the organisation was going through this, had been through this period of downturn, people felt a need to connect more strongly to their team than to the organisation. Uh, and yeah. they, I think they actually identified more with their team than with their organisation, and perhaps that was a safety mechanism. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so what did you learn about teams and how the teams influence engagement across an organisation? Okay, well, there, there, I guess there's two things. I talk about team climate and team processes. Yeah. I've already started yeah. talking about team climates where um, there's trust and there's openness um, where there's a lot of collaboration, where people, you know, they have each other's back. If someone needs help, yeah. they help each other out. That was a pretty common characteristic. Yeah. Uh, feeling safe to be able to sort of admit a mistake or to express a contrary view, that was an important uh-huh. part of the team climate. Yeah. And then what I observed about the best managers was that they had team processes. And I, I'll talk about a team process, yeah. say, as yeah. a team meeting, where not only you had a meeting where you talked about what everyone's doing and did they need help, but they used the meeting process itself to provide opportunity for learning and yeah. for recognition. And those uh-huh. team meetings seemed to be highly engaging for the people who were a part of it. You know, for example, in one of the yeah. team meetings I sat in on, every week someone presented a case study and shared what they learnt um, and that was a rotating chair, so everyone had ownership for that meeting process. Uh, it was so actually that everyone, same Yeah. Everyone Sorry. took turns in, in running the meeting each week? Running parts of the meeting. So uh-huh. the, the learning part, which was a case study, and they'd pick a topic and they had it. So you're, you're yes. going to talk about that. That was a really engaging. So apart from knowledge sharing, I could see it really connected them and they, they really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so learning and recognition in addition to the business of the meeting. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so what organisational factors um, from an, the whole of organisation uh, impact on employees being engaged in their work? Okay. Um, I think I think for this organisation where I did the research, um, yeah. as I said, a lot of them were very affectionately, you know, uh, connected to the organisation. It was an organisation that genuinely had 
very strong values around the quality of life of their employees, both inside and outside of work. Okay. And um, yeah. I saw examples of like work-life balance, like managers saying to people, no, yeah. you need to go home, don't stay late, you'll be tired, you'll make mistakes or um, just being really concern- concerned about, you know, you don't need to rush on that because, it, you know, again, because you'll make mistakes and you need to, you need, you need mm-hmm. to be concerned mm-hmm. about your family. And I, so those are showed- specific examples. Yeah. So those organisations in particular, that organisation in particular, valued their employees' health and welfare. Yeah, very much so. And that the upside of that is that their employees worked really hard and and liked what they did, yeah? Absolutely. They wanted to give back. I mean, you know, yes, absolutely. Because I'm sure many of us have worked in organisations where you're not valued terribly much and you are expected to just keep on working endlessly to get things done. So it's good to hear that um, that organisation that you did your research for valued that in their employees. That's really good to hear. Um, what advice would you give people who want to identify an engaging job. Okay. I, I think it's useful for everyone to take some reflection time. So yeah. look back at your career and the sort of jobs that you've done, um, the jobs that you loved, try and identify what was it about the job that you loved. Was it because yeah. the work that you were doing or because of the support you were given, the opportunity for learning? And be clear of yourself about what was good and and what was less good at those different times. And then you're actually going to be in a better position to make an informed decision about the sort of work that you seek in the future. And you're in a better position to have a conversation with your manager. You can say, look, I've been reflecting on my career so far and and what really engaged me. And I'm looking for a job that's got these sort of characteristics. I'm not quite sure what it looks like, but um, have that conversation with them. And then you're having the conversation with yourself as well to be clear about what you really value. Yeah, yeah. Um, And sometimes that's about a different role in the same organisation too, isn't it? Yes, or it could be in another organisation. Yeah, yeah. Um, So if you're in a particularly big organisation, there may be opportunities that you don't know about. So by knowing clearly what you want out of a job or what you'd like out of a job and being able to have that discussion with your particular manager, your manager may know of um, relieving roles or um, additional roles within the organisation that you might actually be able to take advantage of um, in, exactly. in the same organisation. Exactly. Yeah. And I heard a senior manager once say, you know, once you're clear about what you want, you should tell three people every month, three different people. So you've yeah. shared it with your manager first and make sure everybody yeah. else knows this is what yeah. you're looking for. So use your yeah. network. Yeah, yeah. So that um, to get a job that you really love doing, it is um, lots about networking, isn't it? Networking, yeah. Reflecting on what's really important to you, um, yeah. and then and then yeah, ne- yeah, developing a broad network inside and outside the organisation. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tracy, while but just before we're almost out of time, but I really like you to tell the listeners about your latest book. Can you do that for me? Um, the, the creativity one. Yes, 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 the creativity one. <laughs> yes, so um, 
Uh, so part of my, so in my PhD research, I looked at how work environments contribute to employee engagement. And I also looked at how they contribute to creative behaviours. Yeah. Um, and I was quite keen to see whether the same characteristics contributed to both outcomes. Yeah. Um, I wrote this book um, with my, my friend um, and creativity consultant, um, Barbara Wilson, because we wanted to develop something that managers could use to help their team to think differently about yeah. big problems. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, so there's a, so we basically wrote a book on our based on our own experience. We used our favourite tools and um, everything yeah. from, you know, we did sculpt, sculpting and painting to using the oh, creative yeah. problem-solving process, use of metaphors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's for big problems. It's not for small problems. And no, increasingly no. in organisations, the problems we face are quite complex. So, um, yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and we had a lot about, of fun. Yeah, yeah. So, so your book's about helping um, everyone to solve uh, a, a complex problem in an organisation. Is that it's about thinking? It's about thinking about what the problem is and understanding yeah. it before you say this yes. is a problem. So that yeah. complex problems, you know, they have amb- they're messy. They have ambiguity. Um, yes. So it's about using processes to think about it differently. And you can apply some of those skills to thinking about your career as well. I mean, just uh-huh. to <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we are almost out of time. That has gone inc- amazingly fast. Thank you for being on Radio Tony today. And for our listeners, I'll put the contact details in our chat messages um, at the end of the show. But thank you very much, um, both Vanessa and Tracy, for being on Radio Tony today. And um, I will throw to a break now, and I wish you girls both a lovely weekend. Thank you, you, Rebel. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Radio Tony on W4WN, a platform for the unheard. Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty is the new book from Australian author Tony Londis. Available in paper, ebook, and audiobook formats, Resilience is the true life story of Tony, experiencing and surviving trauma, abuse, mental health issues, and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with. Exposing moral issues you may have dealt with too. Read how hope and happiness triumph in her life. Available at Amazon.com and all good online retailers. Radio Tony on W4WN. Your safe space for tough conversations.
Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Welcome back, everyone. So because we had a bit of a shorter world news today, I thought I'd continue with some more stories that are making news this week. In the US... A farmer made a life-saving decision when he used an eight-centimetre pocket knife to sever his own leg after it got caught in farming machinery. Kurt Kayser, 63, says he was unloading corn from one bin to another in the US state of Nebraska in April when he accidentally stepped into the grain auger, trapping his left leg in between the rotating shaft. The equipment began to pull Mr. Kayser's leg in further, mangling it. The lifelong farmer told the paper he couldn't find his mobile phone and it would have been useless to yell for help on the 607-hectare farm. Mr. Kayser said his will to live kicked in when he saw the machine had already moved his foot. He observed an area about eight inches below his knee, took out his pocket knife and began to free himself. When he was cutting it, the nerve endings he could feel and they pinged every time he sawed around the pipe. All at once it went and let go of me and I got the heck out of there, Mr. Kayser told KETV. After he was freed, Mr. Kayser crawled around 50 metres to the nearest phone and he was flown to hospital. He never lost consciousness. Um, He told the local media he was optimistic um, and lucky. I felt that he was lucky to be alive. I cannot imagine the incredible pain he must have been in. However, they do say that in uh, accidents like that, you have so much adrenaline pumping around your body that the pain doesn't register uh, like you and I would think about it when we're reading about this incident. But again, a grain auger is definitely not something you want to get cut in. It's a machine that chops things up and it has huge blades and what a terrible situation. But good on this man for escaping and making his way to safety. Also in the US this week, an American toddler feared kidnapped after vanishing from his rural home on Mother's Day has been found alive and well after three days in the wilderness. Rescue was found little Kenneth Howard dehydrated and wearing just a nappy near an old mine about 1.6 kilometres from his family's remote Kentucky property. Um, The little boy, 22-month-old, was fine apart from dehydration and a few scrapes. His family are certainly happy to have him home. Um, In Australia, we are about to head into our national election. And I must say that I'm pretty glad that our election is almost over. It's been marred by some of the grubbiest politics and politicking we've ever seen. Uh, We've been subjected to endless, repetitive election uh, advertisements and campaigns with one side berating the other side in an endless round of who did it better. 
So we vote on Saturday um, and we will know the results within a few days. Also in Australia this week, um, one of our most controversial ex-Prime Ministers, Bob Hawke, has passed away at the age of 98. Bob Hawke will be remembered for floating the Australian dollar in 1983 and making us competitive on the world stage, launching Medicare in 1984. And for those of you listening, Medicare is our uh, system whereby we receive uh uh, doctors uh, bulk billing and we can go to the doctor for not too much money at all. Uh, Bob Hawke was also famous for implementing lots of financial reforms, including the sale of our national bank, the Commonwealth Bank. He also introduced the Sex Discrimination Act into Australia. The Sex Discrimination Act in Australia stopped women from being discriminated against. A very powerful piece of legislation indeed. Um, Bob was also um, very much environmentally uh, friendly and he blocked the damming of the Mount Franklin River in Tasmania. Now, the Mount Franklin River is in the midst of Tasmania's wilderness, um, one of the last remaining wilderness areas in uh, Tasmania. And Tasmania is a tiny island off the big island of Australia and a very beautiful and valuable place to uh, uh, pres preserved. And it's been preserved because he was so vocal about doing it. So Medicare is not the same as it is in US. I'm actually not certain as to what the specific differences are, but I know in Australia our Medicare system um, gives us rebates for visits to the doctors, for certain x-rays um, and ultrasounds, um, but of course we also have uh, access to the public health system. So anyone, anywhere, no matter how rich or poor they are, is able to go to a public hospital and a public ED where you are not charged for your health care, um, which I know is very different from what you experience in uh, the US at this time. Um, I'm, for one, grateful that we have this system of healthcare in Australia. It enables um, anyone to receive treatment at any time, um, particularly if you're um, – and then on top of that, uh, Australians are able to purchase private health insurance. So even if you have private health insurance, you are still able to be treated in a public hospital free of charge. However, your private paid uh, – your private – when you pay for private health coverage, you have the option of going to one of the private hospitals and having a private room and a whole range of specialists. There's not a lot of difference between the public and private health system in Australia. Um, neither is better uh, than the other. However, if you have private health uh, insurance and you go to a private health you have choice over your doctor and your room and etc whereas if you in the public system you're more um, likely to just get the doctor who's on at the time etc um, no the US doesn't work like that at all um, 
I'm sure that um, from what I know, your system is is um, quite uh, expensive, and that you have to pay for all of your health care, which I that would be a terrible thing, particularly if you're homeless or um, on the poverty line and need to see a doctor and can't. Whereas in Australia, if you're homeless on the poverty line, you just go to the nearest public hospital and you will be treated and not charged, which I'm very grateful that we uh, live in Australia and have that system. Uh, So just um, a few points from our management discussion this morning. Um, I know that um, we had a bit of a talk about how you can interact with your uh, manager. And as an employee, for many of you listening, you are employees. If you want to cultivate a good manager, and you can do that, there's some simple uh, techniques that you can employ. And some of those about are around having conversation as an adult, an open, honest conversation, not denigrating either person, but working to uh, have a conversation how you can make things better. Um, It's also about making sure you have a clear purpose and a clear vision uh, within your team and your organisation. If you work in an organisation where it's not clear what the purpose of the organisation or what the vision of the organisation is, it's kind of difficult to be uh, motivated and not having clear vision and purpose is very demotivating. Um, So if you want people in your team and business to flourish, you have to master how to delegate to your employees and you have to develop that trusting relationship. Um, You need to be able to allow your employees to grow and flourish in the organisation. So that's uh, that's my little segment for the time being. I'm going to throw to Dev, um, to Rebel again and we're going to have a break and a song. And when I come back, I'll talk a few things more about leaders and management in the workplace. Over to you, Rebel. Keep the conversation going. Direct assistance. Call Radio Tony. Hello. 561-623-9421 on W4WN Radio Guest Skype. Join Tony Londis, author of Resilience, Memoir of a Broken Little Girl, discovering a woman of strength and beauty on the Women for Women Network. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony is your safe space for these tough conversations. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia, Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Radio Tony, bringing social consciousness this time every Thursday evening, live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Radio see it that dream I'm dreaming but there's a voice inside my head saying you'll never reach it every step I'm taking every move I make feels lost with no direction my faith is shaken but I I gotta keep trying Gotta keep my head held high 
Tony, difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. And welcome back, everyone. This week we're talking about management and leaders. And following on from that conversation, I just want to talk about the ways leaders um, at all levels can build trust um, in the workplace. And so some of those ways include... Um, needing to recognise that building trust is hard work. Trust is not automatically given to a manager. Trust must be earned. So as a manager, you need to work on earning trust with those that you work with. Another way uh, to do this is to be honest and supportive. Um, And that means making sure that you understand where your employees are at. Pardon me and being supportive of what's going on in both their working life and their home life because often employees are dealing with really stressful things at home and that will come with them to work. So being understanding and supportive of them during tough times is incredibly important. 
um, for managers is also about committing to the follow through. So committing, if you're going to, if you say that you're going to do something, make sure you follow through and do it and be consistent. As a manager, it's important that your employees see that you are consistent. Don't uh, say one thing and do another. Make sure you do what you're saying you're going to do and model the behavior you seek. So if you expect your employees to work hard, then you must work hard. You cannot expect employees to do what you won't do yourself. Um, so those are the ways in which managers can build trust in their workplace. Um, so along the lines of leadership and manager, what is it to be a leader? And as a leader, um, what's being trustworthy about? So if you're a trustworthy leader, you deserve confidence. You do what you say you're going to do. You're approachable and friendly. You support your team. You balance the need for results with being considerate of others and their feelings. And you work hard to win people over. So the... Signs of a good leader, one of our listeners wants to know, um, a good leader is someone you look up to, someone you inherently trust and trust to do the right thing. Um, it's someone who is supportive and honest with you, um, someone that believes in um, hard work, particularly if they expect you to be hardworking, they must show that they're hardworking. Um, and it's also about being accountable. Um, so one of the other things um, I was interested in this week was dealing with toxic managers. So going back to that conversation we had earlier about narcissistic uh, managers or managers that are hard to work with. Um, so Again, part of our solution to that was having conversations with uh, people and having uh, blame-free conversations with employees that are bickering or have lacklustre employment. So if you're a good leader, you're going to have a conversation with your problem uh, employee in a way that empowers them to change. So if you're a good manager slash leader, it won't be about hauling someone into your office and giving them a good dressing down. It will be have it will be about having an adult conversation about the things that aren't working in a way that enables your employee to better themselves or create a solution to their lackluster performance. So. You need to be able to get the best out of your employees and most of all recognise that all of your employees are smart, creative and intelligent and talented um, in their own right. And if you discover those traits in your employees, it's your job as a manager to bring those out. So one of my listeners uh, has asked me what is meant by a good dressing down. Okay, so that's the situation when you're hauled into a manager's office and they start to tell you everything that you do wrong, say wrong or uh, is wrong with you in your working life. So that's a good 
dressing down. It's not a pleasant experience. However, if it's done in the right way, it can be incredibly empowering for you as an employee. Perhaps you're so focused on doing things that you don't realise that you're rubbing someone up the wrong way, you're not doing something right, you're, you may be unaware of processes or policies um, and your manager as your manager should be able to tell you about these things in a way that's non-confrontational. So you should go into that meeting feeling a little bit apprehensive, but you should come out of that meeting knowing what the problem is and having solutions to fix it. So rather than coming out of the meeting and feeling worse than ever, you should come out feeling empowered to make changes in your workplace or manage behaviours that are being addressed um, as a problem. So the seven most toxic management behaviours that stifle uh, that stifle or stop human spirit and suck the soul out of an organisation are number one. It's an organisation where people are treated as objects and not human beings. It's where a manager lacks compassion and empathy and where employees are considered objects or expenses rather than assets. Every employee in an organisation is an asset and they should be treated as such with their happiness and well-being considered in their working environment. Number two, employees compete with each other. So that's toxic in an environment, a working environment. Employees can compete internally um, on a a performance-based system, and that's okay, but it should focus on individual performance rather than team performance. Another toxic thing in workplace is a passive aggressiveness. Research documented in the book Toxic Workplace found that most toxic personalities are passive aggressive, meaning that they often distrust others and are very territorial and seek to remain in control. They also reject negative feedback because they don't see themselves as a problem. Another aspect of a toxic environment is a focus on the negative. When management brings down the morale of workers by focusing solely on what they're doing wrong um, or correcting problems and rarely, if ever, do they give positive feedback or reinforcements of the things that are going right. So in your workplace, you can reasonably be expected to understand what's what's right in your workplace, what's going well, uh, what are we all doing uh, exemplary at. So it's about stopping the focus on negative and bringing the positive back into the workplace. Something else that's toxic in a workplace is stealing the spotlight. The team pulls together for a wonderful um, product or rolls out something on time or does a wonderful process and um, it's a great outcome for the company and the manager takes all the credit. 
there's no praise for the team, no celebration of everyone's success and no recognition for the team members for their contributions. This is toxic in the workplace. If your manager tries to hog the spotlight, it makes team morale plummet. The other thing that's toxic in in, uh, in working environment is managers who are missing in action. They're either checked out physically, mentally or both. Um, or they're continuously behind closed doors to avoid personal interaction and are conveniently busy at crucial times when their input or direction is needed. This is toxic in your working environment. And finally, the other thing that's toxic in a work environment is gossiping. Arguably the most toxic trait you'll find in a boss. If you have a boss that loves to gossip, this hurts teams and kills collaboration. It creates a work atmosphere filled with suspicion and trust. And if it comes from a manager, it's lethal. So I'm going to throw to another quick break and I'll join you shortly afterwards as we round off today. Over to you, Rebel. Radio Tony on W4WN. Your safe space for tough conversations.
Join Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with your secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Radio Tony on W4WN, a platform for the unheard. And welcome back, listeners. So before the break, we were talking about toxic working environments. So toxic boxes, uh, sorry, toxic bosses have the rare ability to disengage us from otherwise meaningful and rewarding work. This ability to take high-performing employees and turn them into incompetent fools is terrible. It demotivates and de-energizes an entire team, departments and organisations. I've worked for toxic box bosses over my working life and I can tell you that being belittled or told you're unqualified for your job in front of people who report to you or being informed that you are wasting money on something that's not important is pretty horrible. Um, toxic box bosses can make your life miserable. Um, but along the way, I've um, researched some survival tactics and the tactics that help you deal with work itself. They help you deal with the emotional, psychological, physical health effects of working for a jerk. So the first thing to consider is getting out. It's an important survival tactic um, as it gets you out of the situation as soon as possible. Use your network, call in favours to get interviews from friends, figure out how to live on a little less income and take a slightly a slight pay cut just to get you out of the situation. Over the course of a year, a couple of thousand dollars isn't going to be worth the toll uh, of working with a toxic boss. And that toll is in terms of your emotional, physical health and relationships. It's not worth your well-being to put up with a boss who is excruciating so the other way that toxic bosses, uh, you can impact a toxic boss is to not care about the way that they treat you. Um, if you um, conversely uh, increase your productivity uh, and they still don't notice and they still hate on you, um, this is not your fault. Toxic bosses only care about one thing and that's not you. But if you figure out what results this toxic boss cares about and you hunker down and deliver those bosses, those uh, results, then perhaps your boss may take notice. If not, then again, revert to number one, it's time to get out. Um, the other option or tactic that some people use is to tell your boss what they want to hear. If you're if you're delivering the results that you're required to deliver, um, you'll need to report progress. Don't lie, don't hide the truth, but focus on all the project projects, project progress that is positive and keep it as light as possible. Um, report on all the progress you've made and focus on what's going well. 
when you choose to report on problems, don't ask the boss for help or give any indication that you don't have it under complete control. Aside from crushing the souls of people beneath them, toxic bosses love nothing more than pouncing on a problem and finding ways to blame you and their underlings for it, um, often ridiculing you in the process. Instead, have a talk about the problem with members of your team and talk about it in terms of how you can actively work to address it. Um, one of my nurses wants to know, what does that make you if you just tell your boss what they want to hear? Okay, if you're telling your boss what they need to hear and you're not lying, then there's no problem, actually. If um, you're reporting on the project, progress of a project you're working on and, and that's what they want you to talk to them about, then you're just doing what you're required to do. But if you're only talking to them about what you need to talk to them about rather than uh, having to talk to them about a problem they can pounce on, that's better for you. So um, the other thing you need to do is stop blaming yourself. Despite how toxic bosses can make you feel, incompetent, worthless, lazy, a failure, you are not. This is not your fault. There is nothing you can possibly do to be successful in this situation if you've got a toxic box, except get out of it. By getting out of it, you're not failing, you're not admitting defeat, and it's not giving up. It's about surviving. Um, this is about you making the most of your life. And wherever you go and work, there are always going to be assholes. Let's be real. So if you take um, all of the energy you're now focusing on hating your job and blaming your boss and refocus it on getting out of that situation, you're going to be better off. Um, stop expecting your boss to change. There's no way that they're going to change unless they get a light bulb moment and decide that they're going to be better off in the workplace. It's not likely that they're going to happen. That's going to happen. Um, so in the short term, best thing you can do is to work out how you can get through your day-to-day -day until you can get out of there. Um, the other thing to do is make sure you connect with people. You need someone to talk to, some with, someone with whom you can share what's going on in your working life, be that a partner, a friend, a trusted colleague, and I say trusted because you don't want to talk to colleagues who are going to run straight back to your toxic boss and tell them what you've talked about. You need someone who's going to listen and empathise and understand what you're going through. It's incredibly debilitating working with a toxic boss and there's a sense of total isolation. Um, and toxic boxes are very good at isolating us and making us feel stupid, incompetent, um, and afraid and if you find someone to talk about your what you're going through with it'll make it feel better for you whilst you work out what you're going to do and believe me some people stay in working environments where the boss is toxic and they work out ways in which they protect themselves and still manage to work again you can stop caring um, there's plenty of bosses in the future who are going to engage with you. There's plenty of future jobs that will demand extra hours, travel and late meetings. Um, and this is not one of those jobs. This boss doesn't require that much effort. If they're toxic, then you just do your job and go home. 
to focus on family and friends and focus on getting out of that toxic environment. So that's about it for my management and leadership talk this week. I'm about to head off on a little trip to Bali. So in a couple of hours, I'll be jumping on the plane in Brisbane and flying to Bali, arriving there later tonight. And first thing tomorrow, I'm going to the spa. So for those of you who are not familiar with Bali, it is the most wonderful place to kick back, relax and rejuvenate. And I'm certainly in need of that at the moment. My radio show, Radio Tony, will still be um, live to you from Bali next week. I'll have a wonderful guest with me in um, beside me this time. So no Skype issues. Uh, next week, she'll be sitting beside me and I'll be able to talk with her. Um, her name's Leonie and she is um, an empowering women's advocate and she also does doTERRA oils. And I know lots of you are familiar with um oils and the oily crowd I like to call them Um, but she has a wonderful wealth of knowledge on the power of using oils in your health and wellness regime. I know that over the years um, since I got to know Leonie I've learned an incredible amount about how the humble oil can help your emotional um, and physical body uh, regain its strength and uh, get through some difficult things. Um, So Leonie's specialty is around doTERRA oils, and we'll be talking to her live from um, Bali next week. I'm also throughout that program going to give you all lots of information about Bali, its people, its culture, the country, what you need to know, where I'm staying, what we're doing, um, and the fun things that we've been getting up to whilst I'm in Bali. So I'm really looking forward to it, but don't fear i will still be back on radio tony next week um enjoying your company and looking out for your questions which i love to get um i love to know that you're listening and engaging with me and again if you know anyone who'd be great to listen to on my radio show who'd like to be interviewed or has a wonderful book out just pop me um an email tony lontis author at gmail.com that's t-o-n-i Uh, L-O-N-T-I-S-A-U-T-H-O-R at uh, gmail.com and we're into our last minute of the program so I wish you all a wonderful week I know I'll be having a fabulous week in Bali uh, despite the six hour train uh, flight to get there Um, and I look forward to joining with you all next week Um, over to you Rebel bye now Resilience, Memoir of a Broken Little Girl, Discovering a Woman of Strength and Beauty is the new book from Australian author Tony Londis. Available in paper, ebook, and audiobook formats, Resilience is the true life story of Tony, experiencing and surviving trauma, abuse, mental health issues, and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with. Exposing moral issues you may have dealt with too. Read how hope and happiness triumph in her life. Available at Amazon.com and all good online retailers. Radio Tony, your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony, with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, 
memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio 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 Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mom.